This is a Crow's Nest podcast. And welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and this week I am joined by Steve Proto. And if that name isn't familiar, then I think Titanic Life Belts might be slightly more familiar to you. Hello. Hi. How's it going uh, in in the Grand Staircase? That's going all right. It's kind of cold here. It's actually <laughs> twenty degrees outside. It was sixty yesterday, but not Where are you? to Oklahoma, Oklahoma is it, City. Is it snowing? Uh, it might be sort of sleeting. So I know that there's certain parts of the country right now that are getting a lot of winter weather. But yeah, it's it's definitely cold here. They, yeah. They'll close school for any reason. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they closed school the other day, and for our youngest and our oldest, and it's just there was not the ground was completely dry. <laughs> it was like just preemptive. Yeah, basically. That's me. I can get that though because I I grew up in a far more um re- like removed area in Maryland. So where some of my friends in the same county would have their roads plowed, they wouldn't have even gotten to us by then. So it's I can see where they can they're cautious if it's a big county, but I mean, you know better than I do. Maybe there was no risk at all. Well, I grew up in New York and they never closed school. <laughs> Yeah, I just expected you to be there. (laughs) In New York, it was like, oh, there's a snowbank, go through it. Uh, So I usually start off by asking everyone the same question, or when I remember, Um, and I have remembered this time. So I'm I'm going to ask you, what is your personal Titanic story before you know we get into the life belts and all that? But how did you come around to Titanic just sort of in the first place? Well, I've always been interested in the Titanic. You know, in middle school. I'd just take books out of the library and, you know, read about them. I had a, I did, you know, the Estes model of the Titanic and I did a whole sinking into like a a shadow box background, like for a project. And that's really cool. Then while I have, yeah, it was, it was really neat because I just put, you know, a bunch of pinholes in the background. There's a light in the back. So I'm just very hands-on and very wanting to make things. Mm -hmm. So then I uh, have kids and, you know, they watch YouTube, they, they see these videos, they hear Titanic and they just watch, you know, they go down the rabbit hole of that. And then I, I get drawn back into it. So I'm kind of following them and their um, passion for the Titanic as well. Mm-hmm. So we've been to the Titanic museum with our oldest when he was younger and we just got back uh, with our youngest from the Titanic Museum, and they're just enthralled in it. Is that the one in uh, Branson? I don't, I don't know geography well. Yeah, enough. that's the closest one. It's about mm-hmm. five hours away, okay. so it's really easy to get to. Yeah, I lived in Maryland, and it was like seven hours to get to the Pigeon Forge one. So it's kind of the same thing. Like you do a two-day trip out there, and it's nice. Yeah, I remember my father. He said his teacher was on the Titanic. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> he was on the Titanic? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, he was uh, Marshall Drew. He was a second-class passenger. Huh. 
And he was eight years old when he was on there. And and he would talk about it in class. He was a drafting teacher. So he taught Mm -hmm. art, photography. Okay. And yeah, that's kind of, my dad brought me into it a little bit with that information. I can see that. That's, that is pretty incredible, you know, especially when, when you get into the Titanic community, you start, you know, meeting people and talking to people. There's a lot of people who have these connections and I think it's really cool. So yeah, when did you decide you were going to make a life belt and why a life belt? I know that it seems like a silly question, but like, you know, there's people who make replicas of a lot of things. People make replica China, people have made replicas of the bronze boy and stuff, but why life belts? Well, it's there. There's a lot of research that went into him, sure. And I, we were actually at the Titanic Museum. I saw a little kid, you know, and then he had like this pillowcase with foam in it, and he was dressed up. And I was like, you know what? I gotta make one of those for my son. <laughs> so I did all this research, and I got these measurements, and I made one, and it didn't turn out very well, and it was way too big for him. <laughs> so I was like, I could start all over. So I'm going to size this down to fit him and made it there about four, what is it? 11 inches, uh, four inches wide, mm-hmm. um, no, wait, about eight inches wide, 11 inches tall, just the, the blocks of cork for the kid. Okay. And, and it looked perfect on him. So then I just, I made about five. Mm-hmm. So I remade one for my oldest son, then I made another one for me, and I made another one for my brother, and I'm like, okay, this is getting a little bit, you know, more and more accurate. Right. And then my wife's like, oh, you should, um, you know, people might be interested in these and for their Titanic collections. So that's kind of how it all came about. My wife jokes, I just woke up one morning and said, I'm going to think we're going to make Titanic life belts. She's like, Okay. That's not a bad project though. I think that's really cool. And I've, I've seen, I've seen one of yours in person. We were talking slightly um, off air about um, the guy who brought his to the Titanic convention and he wore it um, one, uh, one of the days. And it was really cool to see it in, see it in person because, you know, you see most of these, the older ones, they've been a, not been aged, they are aged and they've been, you know, through the ringer, many of them. And, then you see them behind glass and it's kind of cool to have one in front of you that you can actually, you know, touch and, and really see. Oh yeah. And there, I try to make them as accurately as possible. There's a lot of measurements that go into like the cork size and you know type of fabric, obviously. And then mm-hmm. how is actually constructed, how it's all the cork is side loaded and it's hand stitched and how far apart each stitching is and that if the thread's doubled up or if it's not. So, you know, a lot of people have helped me along the way. Mm -hmm. So that's how they're as accurate as they were. Have you been able to see any of the actual um, authentic Titanic life jackets in person? Have you just, just going to the Branson museum, they have, Mm -hmm. um, they have Ken Marshall's half belt there which a lot of this the stamps are modeled after that one Mm -hmm. uh ken sent me the proofs for the stamps that he had a replica made so that actually helped a lot in getting the stamps to match so closely 
to mm -hmm. what the originals were. Where else did you do your research? Because you know, I'm I, I I hadn't thought of things like how did you really start to notice those differences, things like double stitching, double threading, where it's knotted? How did you figure out that it was, you know, the cork was side loaded? I would have personally assumed knowing nothing. If I were to make a lifeboat today, I would have guessed that you like lay it down flat. You put the cork in, then you kind of stitch over and around. But now that I'm thinking about it, that seems extremely impractical. Yeah, with, with the way the sewing machine is, everything's assembled before the cork is actually put in. Mm -hmm. I, I looked at a lot of photographs. And, you know, there's some photographs that are genuine life belts either. So, you know, you have to figure out what, what's real and what's not. Right. And Jer Jerry Vondling, he has articles about the Fosbury life belts. And he goes into great detail about the size of the cork and everything like that. So that's where I draw most of the information I have to recreate them. But with, this is a kind of a longer story, but it's pretty Love interesting. Love a longer story. Okay. So I, I was making these life belts based on these measurements that Jerry had. And Jerry got them as well from similar sources that I've seen from other curators at other museums. So I made them by those dimensions at the very beginning. And then I got a message from a person on Etsy. And they said, oh, my high school friend is a curator at the Murrayside Museum in the UK. And she has access to a life belt. And she could take all these measurements for me. Can you make, uh, make some minor adjustments to like the cork size and the fabric and the type of stitching and everything like that? I was like, uh, okay, wh what does she have? So, you know, she sent me all the information. And she also had a friend who had a Fosbury life belt. So she can actually see that one. And her friend took measurements and they were the same. So this is two for two, both phosphory life belts. One is believed from, to be at the time from the Arabic. So I went ahead and, you know, made those minor changes and sold one to her. She took pictures of it next to the life belt of her friend. So we got some really good side-by-side -side shots and it, it's really close. One's 111 years old, one's <laughs> brand new, pretty much. Right. But um, I, I told Jerry, hey, I, I got these measurements. They're a little bit different than yours. And this person has an actual phosphory life belt. And this is where he gets all excited. And he's like, well, can you send me pictures? So I sent him some pictures. And he's like, oh, can I, can I get her name and get, get this guy's name? I was like, well, let me pass your information along to them and have them contact you. And they did. And they took some really detailed photos of the um, life belt that he had in his possession. Mm -hmm. And Jerry sent him on to Ken Marshall. Mm -hmm. And Ken Marshall noticed that there was some writing on the life belt. SOS saved April 15th. So, or April 14th. So they passed all that along and found out that that life belt was signed by several other people. Wow. that were in lifeboat number one. So he didn't actually have an Arab, SS Arabic life belt. He had a Titanic life belt. And it's believed it's owned by Sir Cosmo, Cosmo Duff Gordon. That's incredible when you start looking at, I learned a new word recently. I think it's parsonage. The P 
Patronage, what is it? The history of an artifact. When you actually start tracing it back, learning its histories and learning its stories, you can really find out cool facts. Like that's really neat. Yeah, I didn't think that. Nobody thought that they'd be finding another life belt. There, there were thirteen out there at the time. Something now like there's, that. Now there's, you know, fourteen. That's pretty. It's just really interesting where stuff ends up turning up. And, you know, like you were saying, in this guy's case, he thought he just had something else. And like, if somebody gave me a cup, for example, and said, this is from the Queen Mary. I don't think I'd question it too much. Oh, thank you. How very neat. This is quite cool. And, you know, I don't think that I'd really examine it in that way and be like, are you sure it's from there? What about this other ship? Because the pattern and it. I don't know that I'd question it unless somebody else came at me in this way with hard evidence, like, Hey, I've noticed this thing and I traced it back and I have proof that it's actually from, Oh man, I've just forgotten the name of every ship I've ever learned. The Lusitania. Mm -hmm. Unlikely, but still it's kind of one of those things where I wouldn't have questioned it. You know, if someone told me that my life belt was from, you know, the the Arabic, I'd be like, Oh, how how cool. I don't know that I'd be like, are you sure it's not from the Titanic? I'm sure. Yeah. There, there's several life belts and, you know, the Titanic community, if, if it's not traced back to a particular person mm-hmm. who was either on the uh, Mackie Bennett or the Carpathia or the Titanic, you know, itself, then they just dismiss it as being actually a Titanic life belt. There's only two, one, um, the Madeline Astor life belt, uh, you know, that could be traced back. Um, Mabel Friend, Satelli's life belt that could be traced back to her. Um, the Frank Blackmar life belt mm-hmm. that was, you know, taken aboard the Carpathia. So, and the Ernest Sinclair, the waiter on the Carpathia, recovered it. It's not mm-hmm. tied back to a person, but it is, you know, tied back to the ship. Mm-hmm. Then you have the the questionable life belts that are. They're believed definitely be a phosphory life belts, but their ties to the Titanic are definitely looser. Mm-hmm. James Dunbar, he found a life belt on a beach cleaning right. up wreckage that came ashore. You know, there, there's no certainty, but could you be. know, it's still a good piece of history. And yeah. it very well could be from the Titanic. Still a 111-year-old-ish life belt. Mm-hmm. I've seen Madeline Astor's life belt in person. I've talked about it a few times on the show, but it was, mm-hmm. it was really cool. And I think I've mentioned it on the show before that um, I hadn't seen a life belt in person. And I was surprised by how small it was. I, for some yes, reason, sir. expected them to be bigger. <laughs> Probably due to the, you know, the Titanic movies where they're yeah. grander and much bigger and have a bigger screen presence than they kind know, of something that. They resemble more, sorry, they resemble more like contemporary life belts in that way, and that they're kind of like, they seem puffy, a little, a little fluffy. Yeah, they're very heavy. Yeah, they were heavy and stiff. That surprised me. Like, I, I poked at the cork, and I've, again, I was expecting it to give a little, I don't know why, I was expecting it to give a little, and then it absolutely did not. It was like poking a textbook. And they're, they're very thick. Yes. Because the the material is it, it's canvas, is it? Is it? It's it's linen. It's linen. That's very rough linen. And yeah, it 
I won't go into like thread counts and warp and weft for anything, but it, Why, it, uh, it's went in. The um, the ones I make are canvas, just due to the affordability sure. and the availability of it. Mm-hmm. If I was to make them out of linen, the prices of them would just be cost prohibitive for most people That's just to fair. buy them. There. I'd like to get these, you know, produce them and get them into the hands of people who really want them, you know, without, you know, breaking the bank. Right. I think I was mostly just marveling about, I th- again, I, I thought it would have more give. I thought it would be softer. I don't know why I thought these things, but I was surprised by its roughness. And I'm, I'm surprised yeah. to learn that the originals, especially because, again, it's, it's been old that it's linen that seems like it would be very delicate unless i don't know anything about linen and its longevity but it's not what i would pick to make you know a protective garment i think it's what they had available at the time that would have lasted and i think it is kind of it's more durable and stronger and i guess it's supporting the weight of itself because a lot of these life belts on display, they're, it's not how I would display, they're great to view in that position, but really it would be really hard on the fabric to have it displayed standing up or hanging on the straps, the original straps themselves. I actually learned how they display those at the convention. Yeah, yeah I think that this would actually be kind of interesting. So, because I wondered the same thing. Because in the same way that, you know, you hang up your garments in the cl- in the closet, you put something on a hanger, all the weights on the shoulders of the straps. And mm-hmm. I had that same thought, too. You know, you hang this thing up on anything. It's 100 and plus year old fabric holding up weight. It just seems really unfair. But what he showed us they had done were these custom PVC sort of displays that had little rows built into them for the corrugated cork. So that the each section of cork basically had its own little shelf holding it up on the stand. And it did have, you know, um, shoulder supports that they can widen, shorten, depending on whose life belt it is. But by supporting all of the individual pieces of cork on these little shelves on the front and the back, it takes the weight off the straps. Yes, that's a very good idea. Yeah. Because I believe the one in the Belfast Museum is just hanging on straps and it's very taut. Yeah. I mean, even if you have, you know, I, I'm thinking of clothing that I have upstairs in my closet. I have some things that are hanging by straps and every once in a while I take them off the hangers to give the the fabric a, a rest from the tension because yeah, it, over time it just, <laughs> it drags. And especially when it's got all that, this, the, the, we were just discussing the cork, it's, it's reasonably thick. And I mean, heavier than I thought it would be. I don't. I, it was. It was striking how unlike I. It. It was all sorts of things I thought it wasn't going to be. I thought it would be bigger. I thought it would have more give. I thought it would be softer. And then I looked at it, and my brain kind of said, "That's it." Not in an unimpressed way, but it's almost like that's all they had. Are you kidding me? This isn't. This is nuts. Like not that's it unimpressively, but more like just gosh, that's that's all. The, the cork itself is also very insulating, so is it? It would keep you warm. I did not know if, that. If you were to even wear, 
you know, one of my life belts for an extended period of time, you, you're just going to start sweating. You're going to get hot wearing it. So, you know, they were bulky. They probably didn't trust them very much to save their life. Um, but I, I do believe that they were very warm. Mm-hmm. Warms could be well right. wearing them versus not wearing them. So. Did they did they do they float well enough? Like if you actually were to if I were to wear one of your life belts and like jump in a pool, would it? Would what not is this, recommend doing that. I, I don't think that yes, it would float. But would it just? Would it just? Is it just not? What makes it unsafe? Since it's only tied around your waist mm-hmm. by straps, it can move up very quickly. True. So if you were to jump in the water it would pop up and hit you in the face or your jaw. Um, You're right. It is debated whether um, people were injured jumping into water with these. I believe they were. Um, there are some people saying that there's no evidence that there were broken necks due to life belts. But yeah. You, there's no you evidence definitely there wasn't. Yeah. There's some people that I've talked to where they're like, no, it never happened. And some people are like, it's documented. It did. Next. You definitely don't want to jump into water. Okay. Maybe if I don't jump into the water, if I walk into into the water, but it would, it would, it would float. Oh yes. Okay. Definitely float. I did notice a little bit what you're talking about that, that it popped up in the scene in the Cameron film when they're, you know, not swimming Mm -hmm. paddling through the the corpses some of them you can see that the the life belts have come up kind of around their chins um through the flotation and i find it interesting that people are saying that it's like no way no way because necks are fragile and that sounds like an obvious statement but it's really true things like whiplash and what have you they happen really quickly and it doesn't take it doesn't take much and a high impact jump into water is that that's much, that's a lot. There can be a lot of force mm-hmm. behind that. And then, as you say, you have this life vest and if it's not moving intuitively with you, or if, as you say, it pops up as your momentum is still going strictly down, I can see where that could cause problems. It weirdly reminds me of something I was talking to a friend about, cause he's really into formula one racing. Um, and he was talking about how a lot of people didn't actually, you know, used to die from crashes um, it was um, the crash at the impact of the crash itself. It was because they were going fast and then suddenly they weren't. And because there was no head and neck support, mm-hmm. there'd be a lot of, of snap necks, not it super unpleasant, but I'll, I, I can see where that, that would have been a concern in, as you mentioned with the life belts popping up. And then as I, I was just thinking about how fast you're hitting the water. Being on a ship, mm-hmm. um, you'll look at the water like, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise, but you don't truly has a, have a sense on how high you are. No. But you could, it's a, you're basically a 10-story building, and you're like, oh, yeah, I, I can get down there. Yeah, I have no, really, you, you cannot. Well, you can. No. <laughs> it, if you it, land the wrong way, it would be a big <laughs> problem. And you're going underwater. It, it's, yeah, I, um, I have poor depth perception. Like, I... I did this to my brother the other day. I, I asked him how far away he thought my dog was from me. And I said, he's about six feet away from me. And my brother looks at me like, I'm nuts. He's like, that dog is 10 feet away from you. And he was right. I, I'm not very good at this. So I, I have looked over the cruise deck before. And I was on a, you know, I was on a carnival cruise ship. These things are massive. 
I was pretty high up. And for the first two seconds before my brain truly registered, you know, wait, how far am I? For a second, I was like, I think I can make that. I don't know why. It was a really dumb thought, but it's like, no, you can't. That's really high up. Those intrusive thoughts. <laughs> yeah, except mine are except ugh, mine are so weird sometimes. You could make that. No, you can't. That is, as you said, a 10-story jump into the water. Don't do that. I have a question for you because I've heard someone debating. This is more about just like life belts in, in general, and this may be something you mm-hmm. know. Um, just by looking into it, there are some people that argue that if you are on a sinking ship, you should not put your life belt on until you have made it off the ship. Because if you get you know, stuck somewhere, like a room where the water is rising and you're trying to get down to the door, if you're wearing your life vest, it will prevent you from swimming down. I don't know how I feel about that as a concept, but I can see the logic behind it. Well, yeah, if you're going to try to navigate an area of a ship that's beneath water, that's probably not the best way out. You're not going to be able to take your life belt with you anyway, because it'll be buoyant. You're not going to be able to force it underwater and get yourself underwater with it. It's not going to, that's not going to happen. You would just have to find another way to egress the ship. Mm. The reason I think about that, because, you know, I remember doing the life belt, like the, the emergency drill on this cruise and, you know, we Mm -hmm. didn't do it at the time, but one of the things they say is, you know, if things go on, grab your life vest and put it on immediately, you know, make sure you have it with you. And that's always, after I heard that argument being made from somebody else, it kind of struck me a little bit. It's like, I can see where, especially if you're not a great swimmer, it may not occur to you if water's rising, like to take off your life vest or, or anything. And I can see how that would trap you in its own way. I don't know. Speaking of intrusive thoughts, <laughs> like you could get stuck in a sinking ship if you're wearing a life vest. So obviously I hope that most people just don't get stuck in the sinking ship. Yeah. Probably best just to, you know, get to your muster station and see where the, where your next step is, because sometimes, you know, leaving the ship is, might not be the best option. That's true. Well, that's what people or thought might on not Titanic. Be necessary. Yeah. That's also yeah, true. They were very reluctant to get on the ship. Mm-hmm. or get on the lifeboats yeah um, it, it's really interesting when you think about you know if someone gives an evacuation order on a ship today most people are immediately running for you know the, the boats and the doors it's so interesting to think at the time how people it, it, it didn't even occur to them that titanic might be going down it's like what is all this life belt lifeboat rigmarole for what is what's the point yeah and they probably didn't get a good sense of the depth of the you know tragedy is about to occur mm-hmm. you know from where they're standing you know they look off the side of the ship they see water they're not under the water they, until it was pretty much too late because there could on, well being on a cruise ship you know you mm-hmm. you kind of don't have a sense of what's going on beyond That's what you're true. doing they don't tell you everything. It's you such could a be big stopped ship. in the water and they just be like, oh, we just stopped. Yeah. They're like not going to come tell you. Could be, yeah. They don't want to tell you, you know, where they need you to be. Well, I think it goes back to the whole, we don't want to start a panic thing because mm-hmm. I don't think it's a great idea to come over the loudspeaker. Attention, Carnival Cruise members. There is an attempted mutiny in progress. Please stay calm. I just... <laughs> 
I don't think that would work out. So it's like, I can see where there's a need for the sort of info diet to the general public when emergencies yeah. happen. Uh, it, it's interesting to think back to the Titanic where it's like, maybe if they'd been a little more honest, people might've like moved more or, but you know, maybe they wouldn't. Yeah. They didn't have the drills like they, they do today. <laughs> no, but it, it was really interesting. Someone brought up the concept of security theater to me the other day about, you know, how a lot of things, some of the procedures that we do are just to make people feel safe. Things like, you know, a lot of what the TSA is up to, which I firmly believe because my shoes are fine, man. There's nothing wrong with my shoes. Give them back. Um, but it was, it's just, it's interesting to me because this almost seemed like the opposite of security theater, whatever was happening on the Titanic. It, well, security theater in its own way. It's like, we're going to just keep everything calm so that no one freaks out, which is like, again, it's kind of, I understand the logic. You don't want to start a panic. And that was, you know, the, the thought process the entire time. But it's just interesting, you know, how the words and the actions are different, where it's like, everything's fine, but you should really wear all of your jackets and your life vest. Don't panic, though. We're all good. We're all good. Just just make sure your kids are nearby. It's a really interesting <laughs> dichotomy. So yeah. I, I, can, I can see why people were kind of like, yeah, this is stupid. We, uh, we brought our life belts on our cruise with us for our Halloween cruise. Amazing. So... We uh we won first place. Of course you did. Um, we had um our youngest Colin. He dressed as um Charles Jockin, had the fake mustache, the the flask, and everything. And he would just drink it, and he would tell people who he was. That's awesome. And they were just like, "Who's that?" <laughs> uh, more people didn't know. Um, but I did have my um cover on my officer cover and my life belt and i'm kind of walking fast because you know you got to get places quickly on a cruise ship and i <laughs> kind of intersected with a crew member of the ship like one of the officers <laughs> and she got really nervous for a second she was like oh my gosh but she just saw me come out of her wearing my life belt walking kind of fast and i had like it kind of an officer's uniform she yeah, probably had, like, thought she saw there. a ghost <laughs> poor girl <laughs> oh my gosh She's, she still goes around to this day telling everyone about the, the old naval sailor's ghost she ran into on the ship. I, I'm a bit of an overreactor, so that would have been my first thought. Someone in period dress and a period life vest would be like, what warning do you have? That's really cool, though. I love the yeah, idea of a whole family of life felts. Yeah, they, ha they have a grand staircase background, so yeah, we, we got a picture in front of that. Love it. And... We wore it for the deck party. Just nice. nobody else was dressed up like that. <laughs> what were they all dressed up as? What 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 brilliant ideas did they have? Um, no, just the you know Ninja Turtles or normal they, Halloween. They, yeah, just normal Halloween stuff, Star Wars stuff. I mean, I do like me some um, Star Wars. need to take advantage of being on the ocean though if you're on a cruise like dress as a mermaid or something i don't know i like your idea better <laughs> yeah it's definitely better themed better for the cruise for have you guys ever been to one of those like titanic recreation dinners i've never been to one no i haven't no they're 
they would probably be at Pigeon Forge or Branson. They're not really in Oklahoma City. Sorry, I needed to mute myself to sneeze, but they <laughs> they host those all over, like not just at yeah. the museums. Like people, like restaurants sometimes will do them. Like they'll just host Titanic like themed dinner. And because I, I think that the the copies of the menu from April 14th did make it off the ship. So they'll make like that menu again. Which, if I remember correctly, yeah. is 11 courses. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're, they're usually very small, but very filling. Yeah. I haven't, I've never done an 11 course dinner, but for, I think it was like my 25th or 30th birthday, one of the milestone birthdays, my mom took me to like a Michelin star restaurant. And it was that same thing where it's like six courses or something. And each dish is like the size of, I'm holding it in my hand, which is great for a podcast, but it's like a Clementine or something. Yeah. Yeah, they have a chef's table on the cruise ship and it's nice. it's a lot of courses. And it's like a two hour dine two or three hour dining experience. I, I can't tell if that sounds awesome or awful. There's a lot of wine. Yeah, I don't drink anymore. That's just a lot of time to be sitting. Yeah, it's in the kitchen. So you get to see, you know, all the That's cool. Shuffling of people around. That is pretty cool. That's more, I get that. That's kind of an experience. I would do that. It's just so much food though. I it's. I try to think like if I were, I'm thinking right now, like if I had to make 11 courses, I've run out of at like four. I'm like, I'm done. I don't have any more ideas for dishes. I'd need to actually get some books out. Really think about it. That's a lot. That's just so much food. Yeah, I definitely overcook when I make food. Same. I'm a little better about it now just a little still pretty bad <laughs> like one of my favorite things to make is this pasta sauce but you can only make it in quantity oh my god so you just kind of have to make the whole, the whole thing and then you have pasta sauce for um for a decade yeah i cook about 30 pounds of sauce for 12 hours freeze it that yep nope that makes mine sound like a reasonable amount I bet yours is really good though. It sounds like what my mom does when she'll make like stuff where she cans and she'll make hot sauce and candied jalapenos and just like, it'll be like a massive quantity. But then as you said, you'll get like a giant quantity. You get six months, you yeah, get six months worth of dinners. Yeah. What do you, do you make like a classic tomato sauce or is, do you have meat? Oh yeah. No, my wife's a vegetarian. So oh, cool. I cook everything separate. Nice. I always wonder about, well, I have, I, I had, to, I have friends, it's like, again, same thing. It's like carnivore, well, not carnivore, omnivore, vegetarian. They would always make, so kind of annoying sometimes, they'll always make these beautiful, wholesome Instagram dishes where it's just like, I barely have the energy to cook one dish that doesn't even look good for me. Tastes fine. Like, I don't, I don't fiddle with the presentation like some people do. Yeah, I, I just produce large quantities of food. That's sometimes the best way to do things. Yeah, it's not fancy. But you don't need to be fancy. Like, it, no, I know. Yeah. It's kind of thing like a cruise is where you get fancy and you do your 73 course dinners and stuff because you're not the one cooking. <laughs> it doesn't affect you. <sighs> I haven't been on a cruise in a really long time. I did. Our, we did a disservice, my friend and I. We went when we were broke. So we also went in an off season. So we cruised in November. So it was cold. <laughs> um, 
but it wasn't bad. It's just like, if I had to do over again, I would make sure I had enough to actually get not an interior room because man, that is claustrophobic. Yeah. We, we've always gotten balconies being on cruises. You, you kind of need to, I mean, I know that sounds like I'm being a little snobby, but it's sort of like, it, it can really get to you with you. If you are inside like that, no view to the outside. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, if you sometimes I have a forward camera that if you put out that on your TV, you kind of get a sense of what's going on on the outside of the ship, like if it's mm-hmm. daytime or nighttime. But you know, some people they never go to their room. Yeah, they always spend it out out <laughs> doing things, so they're only in there to sleep, so they're not really too worried about it. Then there's people who love to be in their room, so yeah, a balcony is probably what they would prefer. We didn't spend a lot of time in our room, so it didn't make a lot of, you know, didn't make a lot of a difference. But when you were in there, it's you did get a sense of how very small that area was. That's a ship, though, so I'm not. It's not meant to be large. Yeah, the, they're definitely trying to get as many rooms on as possible. The larger ships are more efficient. Yeah, to run. I don't know who it was, and I, it's been a while since I've seen it. But I remember for a while I was getting advertisements from some cruise company on social media about how they had like this new ship coming out it's like the biggest one on record i don't know how many people it can hold but it was some ridiculous amount like six to seven thousand people it's a lot yeah that's just unnecessary yeah the, our favorite cruise ship um carnival like magic dream breeze mm-hmm. um anything I know they made the Vista, which it's it has more people, but the the common areas are still the same size, mm. roughly. So I I just felt like there was more people on that ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really want to do a Virgin cruise, and that's because I'm I'm kind of mean, and they don't let it's you have to be 18 to get on it. <laughs> so I'm I'm a big fan of that. I'm I don't know because I, I I you know we did the Carnival cruise and and it was and, and I do like that they have a lot of stuff that's specifically catered for kids because you know kids are part of a vacation too. Um, but just for me personally, it would be nice to not have the concern. Because I the only oh, time yeah. I've ever been like serious, I've been seriously injured by children a few times. <laughs> this is the thing. One was I was snowboarding and this kid just cut in front of me and I had to bail out backwards and I got a concussion. And then at the roller skating rink, kid cut right in front of me and I fell weird and broke my arm. <laughs> so I'm like, there's, there's a danger. <laughs> you have, how many kids do you have? You've mentioned a two. two. How about how old are they? You don't have to like out, out their ages. Like They're 16 and seven. Okay, so they're old. They're not quite underfoot, but I'm sure you remember the age where it's kind of like, "Am I about to step on a child?" Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely they're like cats. They're getting in front of you. Yeah, it's a little bit. They don't chase mice as much though. Some. Some. Well, actually, you're you're right. Kids are interesting. Oh, I did have a question about the kids' life belts. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, I imagine that they didn't exactly come in a bunch of sizes, but they did have, did they have children and adults life belts? Or was it one size deal with No, it, it was just one size. Good I, God. I don't, I haven't read anything about uh, actual children's life belt. So that's, that's interesting. I don't know what you were expected to do. Just either put an adult one because they're, they're pretty, they're small, but they're, they're a little big for maybe a seven-year-old. Right. Like, so um, for people at home, like, 
I think if I, I'm not a huge person, I'm five, five. I think if I were to put on one of the life belts, it would still leave quite a bit of the sides of my torso and my back exposed as opposed to a normal life vest, normal modern ones, they kind of come all the way across the armpits. So we're, what he's saying is like, yeah, they are smaller and that there's not quite as much bulk on the sides, but they're still not like super adjustable or anything. They're fixed, fixed size. Yeah. You, you just cinch it down as best you can. If and, you could. and the straps would be the only thing that would prevent it from coming off you. Yeah. You go in the water. That's, interesting i guess i also what do they i know that they have like infant flotation devices now and they're more just like floatable kind of like bassinets i guess they they didn't have any provisos for for babies it would on the ship on titanic no yeah. i just i don't hold on tight any other yeah hold hold man it's just just hold on is it's just it's it's weird to think about how different and yet how the same things still are. It's like, yeah, we still wear life belts um, on boats and on ships now, but we have now figured out that perhaps we should have different sizes. The, on the on the cruise ship, there's two sizes. There's mm-hmm. there's smaller ones for younger kids. There may even be an infant one. I haven't. We did take him. I think you have to be six months old at least to okay. go on a carnival cruise. So. Um, yeah, I'll have to get, I'll have to look into that, see if they have an infant one, because I know they have a kid's one. I think that like, I, I think it's less of a life vest and more of just like a floating basket type deal. Cause I mean, it, it's for, for, for babies. It would, in, ha- in it would have to be because yeah. the, the, the modern cruise ship ones, they just go around your neck. They, they're mm-hmm. about just keeping your head above the water. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go. There's nothing on your back. Oh, it's been a long time since I've been on a cruise then. Kind of like the airplane ones, airline ones. Kind of like around your neck and in the chest. It gets you floating on your back. Okay. Makes sense. And your head above the water. Right. Well, I think we're obviously we're now learning that that is the safe position. You know, the Titanic life belts had the same amount of cork on the front and the back. And that was about keeping you vertically upright, which is as... I just said, like, now we know that's not the optimal position for, especially once you've been, mm-hmm. it, once you're exhausted in the water. It's, I've never been a lifeguard. So I, I don't have any lifeguard safety training officially, but I remember when I was um, teaching swimming, that was kind of one of those things that like when someone is drowning or when someone is panicking, when someone is exhausted, whatever the case may be, and they are in peril in the water is to have them on their backs. It's the easiest way for them to float for them to breathe and it's the least amount of energy they'll exert to keep themselves in a somewhat safe position i can't float i'm not great at floating either i have to constantly be moving my arms yeah i'm a sinker it yeah i it was always oh i hated whenever there was like miss alex can you demonstrate a float not really sorry in the in the marines we had swim qual and you'd have to take your blouse and fill it with air and float on your, try to float on your back. That's okay. With a rifle and pack. and That's all right. And... Jesus. Do you then have to also do like a tread water test mm-hmm. in, in full oh, gear? Yeah. How long is that yeah. for? 
more than a few minutes. Good Lord. It's Good been Lord. a long time. <laughs> I mean, I'm, cause I, again, like I don't have any weird like training or anything, but you know, part of the swim assessments is you had to like tread water for a minute, one singular granted. I was also only probably 12 at the time. So I was younger, but you know, a minute's quite a long time when you think about it, <clears throat> yes. especially to do something. It's like when I first started doing um, roller derby many, many years ago, they've eliminated this as a trial now, but you used to be able, nope, you used to have to be able to skate 27 laps in five minutes, which I never really thought about it. And when someone was like 27 laps, five minutes at first, I was like, oh, that's no big deal. Number one, I was wrong. Uh, number two, it is a big deal. And again, number three, five minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're moving for those five minutes continuously, mm-hmm. it's an extremely difficult task. And then you're underwater with a rifle and boots and your full kit. Kicking around. Yeah. I've never, never rollerblade. Uh, I, not that coordinated. Weirdly enough, uh, I'm I not that either. <laughs> oh, you looked what up? I looked it up. So you, for the Marine Corps swim call, you jump off a race platform in full gear, keep their head above water for four minutes and swim 25 meters with their, with the full gear. So yeah, that's, that's what we did in boot camp. Technicality and you, question. And you had to do it every year. Ew. This wasn't a one and done. No. Boo. Do you, this is a technicality question. When you jump in, cause it's a race platform, it, can your head submerge for for the initial plunge? Oh yeah, I was yeah, gonna I, say I okay, okay, because they said you can't get, let your head go underwater. It's like that's a hard one. Well, you once you oh, once okay. you come back up and you're treading water, you can't like be underwater for your, part was, of your. You can't okay. just swim backwards underwater and hold your breath. <laughs> I was being way too literal. Okay, I see. Either way, it's so hard. Jeez. But yeah, after World War too you know mm-hmm. there are many marines die drown you know coming up on the beach they had to really? bail out of um those vehicles that take you to the beach and they couldn't swim oh. so that's when they incorporated swimming into marine corps training i find that surprising that it was that recent mm-hmm. that's really surprising to me i mean because I'm thinking, you know, I think especially in, you know, Western countries, swimming is much more of a common thing now. Like almost everyone I know learns to swim at some point, even if you don't swim again in your adult life. I think almost everyone I know remembers at some point in childhood, even learning, learning how to swim. But, you know, many, not even that many years ago, I mean, in the sixties, even I mean, not everyone, this wasn't necessarily normal. And, you know, you go even farther back to Titanic times, like, especially for women, you wouldn't know how to swim. It just, it has to be taught. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does. And it wasn't part of the like normal culture to be like, all right, girls, you're seven years old now time to get your uh, wetsuits and go to the pool. If it wasn't how you did things. And I think a lot of men didn't really know how to swim either. I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the swimming habits. <laughs> Me neither. I'm just It thinking. was probably not something that you would have, maybe in the United States, mm-hmm. but in Europe, you know, the, the weather is not the best to That's fair. just go to the beach. Well, I was thinking about clothing drag, like you were saying with your, you know, all your 
wearing your full, you know, your full kit when you jump in, you know, these people on Titanic were wearing (laughs) full dresses and suits and wool coats. Absolutely nothing conducive for floating. I mean, if you, if you were to get wet, then it's over. It's just from almost all of them. Just if you get wet and you lose heat and get hypothermia. Well, that's what they say that most people ended up dying from was not the drowning. Well, some of them probably injuries, but not the hypothermia. It was cold. And, you know, you're saying that the lifeboat belts are warm, but they're not, they're not that warm. No, they're not going to keep you warm in the water. They'll, but they do keep you warm if you just mm-hmm. wear them for an extended period of time. Yeah. I mean, they're, in, they're insulated, as you said, but they, they don't really, they don't generate heat. No, no, not at all. No, just, I don't know. I find these life belts fascinating because, as I said, look, when I first saw one in person, it's like I just didn't. That's all people had. Yeah. It, it's something that there's so few of them. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, came from the ship. And it can't, each one has a personal story, or at least those two or four that can be traced back to mm-hmm. actual individuals. So. Um, I'd like people to be able to, you know, get their hands on the closest thing possible to what people had at the time. How long does it take you to make a life belt from from start? Now that you've kind of got your process down, like I'm sure when you were figuring out, it's it was much harder. Oh yeah, it would take pretty much all day to make one, but <laughs> I, I've gotten more efficient. Uh, right now, the longest I kind of it's a hobby still. So yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, I do. If I've added up all the time, it'd probably be about five hours for each one because I have to, you know, cut the cork, measure, measure and cut the cork and then, you know, measure, cut the fabric and then sew up all the fabric. And then hand sewing actually takes the longest. I I bet. Continuous. Uh, it's about 20 minutes each run and there's four runs on there. Wow. It seems like a, um, a labor of love, if, if you will. Uh, I used to. No, thank you. They, uh, yeah. When I hand sew it, every single, you know, if I put the needle in and it's too far over or too close, and I pull it out and I, you know, start again. And once once I run the needle through, it's it's doubled up, so I can't just back it back out. You have yeah, it'll leave to. Mm -hmm. leave a pretty large gap, and then it it just uh, doesn't look right. There, there's about two. I just. I couldn't like see myself selling to anyone. I just to tore them apart, restarted over again. So I mean, it's one of the hard parts for I think some people to understand about artistic pursuits is that when if you make something and it's not up to your standards, even though I'm sure, like I was think I'm thinking in the back of my brain, like I'm sure that those life belts were fine. Like I'm betting you, if the ones that you thought was awful, if you'd gifted it to me, I probably would have been absolutely ecstatic and wouldn't have noticed it. But it's the same thing where it's like, well, I, I noticed, like I when I was making it, I tore a big hole in that thing, and I can still see it. Yeah, I'm definitely. I was I was looking at one, and I'm like, no, no, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to work. So. I do everything from start to finish. Nobody awesome. else helps me with it because my wife is like, oh, I can sew a little bit. And I'm like, that's really nice of you to offer. 
<laughs> I'd hate to be like you're done and be like, oh, this is awesome. Thank you. I can't sell this one. I can't. I can't shit this to anyone. <laughs> That's hard, though. I mean, when you have a process, even if it's not something like a recreation where things need to be exact, but if you have a process, even if someone means the best and they're very skilled and they're very kind and they love you and you love them. If, if it's not done the way that you want it or need it, it's some, it just doesn't work out properly. And it's not to impugn on anyone's skills, but especially in something like this where you Lado, there's nothing there. What's amazing about them barking is that they can't see outside. They can't see outside. So I don't know what this fuss is about, but, um, Anyway, but what I was, what I'm trying to say is that when you have a process in place and especially like you have, when you've researched and you know so much and you are so dedicated to your craft, it is difficult to, to try to involve other people because you know how you want it to turn out and you know where everything needs to go and how it needs to be. And you in your own mind, you know, probably before you put a needle through, you can sometimes look at it and go, "Mm, that's, that's going to be in the wrong place and just instinctively move it over because you know, by now. Yeah, and I, uh, it's very hard to get the core, the fabric to meet up in the direct center on the side of the belt. I believe that. So if the, if the cork is cut wrong, which it's not, I'm not going to cut cork wrong, but I do fold it over and iron it beforehand mm-hmm. just to kind of get that nice crease that, yeah. you know, sometimes they don't meet up tightness so you have to make some like minor adjustments on the fly and there mm-hmm. i do have set measurements i use um sometimes i'll kind of veer off a little bit but it all looks the same at the very mm-hmm. end you can't just you know stamp the design on fabric and then just run it through everything's intentional everything's mm-hmm. hand folded and hand pressed and intentionally done i'm oh, sure yeah. i'm Actually, what I'm doing, and I'm trying to think, like, how did the people in the phosphory factory create these? Like, are they doing them the exact same way I am? Because I, I feel like this is exactly how they would be doing it, much faster. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't be making as many measurements as I am. I mean, Make 3,500 3, of these for each ship. Seriously. That, that's a lot of life belts. It's like and when surprisingly, I watch- they're, they're it's all like- very different yeah not very different but well, they're, they're they all have differences right? yeah they're all handmade so mm-hmm. one life belt will might have different dimensions than another one right just slightly yeah and even the stamps they're different mm-hmm. so um, on um an aster's life belt the stamps look different than the duff cordon life belt mm-hmm. and the francis Ellie life belt they're different than the blackmar life belt mm-hmm. so you know more than one person was making these. Yeah. So everybody has their own style. Mm-hmm. They're they're told how to do it, but they're going to look a little different. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be different types of stamps used because they didn't use one stamp 3,500 times. Right. And one person. So there, there's going to be some differences between each one. And I, I think that's expected. Yeah. It's like, I, I like to sew. Um, I'm getting more into trying to sew my own clothes just for fun. But, you know, when you hand make something, even if you're as deliberate as possible, you know, you, you lay the pattern out just right. You draw the line exactly right. You measure it all up. And so there's still going to be variances, no matter how careful you are. 
is going to be a difference is because it was made by hand. Yeah, one sixteenth of an inch difference will have a ripple effect and make it look very different. (laughs) Yes, yes, it will. (laughs) And if you follow the wrong stitch line, you won't make shorts so much as you'll make the weirdest concoction you've ever seen. It took me like 10 minutes to figure out how to undo it because I could not figure out what I had sewn. I was like, how did this happen? I fixed it, but still. And before this, the only time I've sewn was in middle school. (laughs) So I, so I, (laughs) that's why my wife jokes, you know, you woke up one day and decided to make life belts. So I, I had her aunt's old sewing machine. I threaded it. I had to make about five before I was like, you know, I think people would like these. That's amazing. I always, it's always cool to hear the stories of people who are like, you know, I'm a fourth generation seamstress, you know, my mom, so my grandmother, so that's always cool. But it is equally fun to me when someone's like, yeah, I was just walking home one day and I saw a needle felting kit. So I bought it and now I make (laughs) needle felted pigs. You're like, what? How did that happen? But congrats to you. See. Yes. Some people ask me um, how many I've made so far. And usually my answer is enough to fill a lifeboat. (laughs) Whose lifeboat? Who's, oh, uh, a standard lifeboat. Okay. Because I was going to say, because it was the Duff Gordon. Not the first. (laughs) Yeah. No, I made 12. (laughs) No, it was way more than 12. I had a feeling it has to be more than 12. I just wanted to rib you for a second. That's amazing. When did you, I, I meant to ask this, when did you, like, when, besides the five that you were saying, but when did you actually make the first one that you were like, this is, I've got something here? This was back in August. Just of last year? A, yeah. That's incredible. I didn't realize you'd only been doing, for some reason, I thought you'd been doing this for a few years now. No, there's some other people that made um, some life belts. I don't know if they're mm, maybe they weren't when I first started making them, nobody was selling any others that I, I know. Wow. This and... was just from August. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm stuck on this max. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I start something, it's very intentional and deliberate and I, I, like I get it. very focused. I, I, I kind of did something. I, I, I had a little bit more of lead time into it, but I did sort of similarly start this podcast. So I, mm-hmm. I, I get that, but I, sewing, I will say one of the last notes I'm going to make is for anyone who's thinking about it. Sewing is an amazing hobby, but it's, it's expensive. Sewing is an expensive hobby. Like how did you justify that at the beginning? Cause like, I know that for me personally, like just, this is just me speaking, Alexia speaking for Alexia and like, I sometimes can't afford to do sewing projects just because the amount of fabric that I'm going to need to do whatever. I, I have a thing for circle skirts, which take up a lot of fabric. They're very large, but it sometimes means that I kind of have to like budget for it because I'm like, all right, it's going to cost X amount of dollars just to get the fabric I need. Yeah. The, actually, the biggest expense was the the cork. That I could see that. So, and, and then the, really the time, the, you know, fabric, fabric could be expensive. Um, you know, I funded everything, you know, myself and I'm not running like into debt making these or anything. Um, they're, they're still just a hobby. So, you know, if I, when I sell one, I use whatever, you know, I 
I sell it for. I use that to purchase more materials to sell more. It's 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 still worth my time to make. Yeah. And I try to make more than I need at the time. Um, I don't stamp them until, you know, somebody. Sometimes I'll stamp one or two, but mm -hmm. if I'm running low on like cork, and I can't unstamp a life belt, and if somebody doesn't want a stamped one, um, then yeah, I have to just make a new one. And you know, the, like the original, the first person who ordered one in from the UK, you know, minor changes can still be made. I can, if somebody needs longer straps, I can definitely make longer straps. If, if they don't care that you know they're a set length, I can make them longer. What about a pink life belt? <laughs> I can make any color. <laughs> any color I, that they sell in like canvas. My favorite color if is somebody pink. wanted if somebody wanted a pink life belt, I could definitely sell a pink life belt. I'll get the thread to match the best I can. Would I stop getting invited to Titanic events? Yes or no? Unclear. Listeners write it. <laughs> Weigh in on a pink life belt. I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway joking, but I mean, I think it's really, really cool to see these life belts in person is, you know, as I said, I, I was really fortunate to see Madeline's um, in person, but that was just an, a, like a chance experience that I didn't think. I know. Was and now I'm wishing I really went <laughs> when I saw all those pictures. I'm like, Oh, you should come this year. I, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be life belts this year, but it's going to be in Vegas with the big piece yeah that, that's in april right um i think it's still in august okay well the I'll anniversary may I'm in be the group. in april i'm in the group and i check it sometimes um oh i think it's in august and i know this because i remember asking the tentative dates last year and kind of like booking them just that i had them in my calendar um and it's going to be in august but i think that maybe you're right and that maybe the anniversary of it is in april I'm not 100% sure. I'm terrible with dates. It felt like there was a more more meetings this year than like there Maybe. was last year. I only found out about the one in August about a month before it was happening um, because LA Beatles from the Unsinkable podcast, she ended up going and she was like, did you know about this thing? Like, as a matter of fact, I did not. So uh, that was the first I'd ever heard of any kind of, of meetups or anything. But it was really fun. You should, if you're able to, obviously, you know, <laughs> Nobody do anything weird to get yourself there. But if you're able to, it'd be really fun to, fun to have. I'm sure people would love to, t to grill you more about your, your life belts. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Vegas. I've been there once before by myself. Um, it's it's fine. kind of hard when you... I, I do have a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, that was yeah, I had to take the time off to go to the thing, and that was that was part of it. And so that's why it's like yeah, I, I get that not everyone's able to, but this year I do think with it being the um, celebration of the raising the big piece and everything, it it, sh it should be a reasonably good time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I went to the one in Orlando, and Ooh. that had the big piece. I think at the time. That's cool. So yeah, it's in Vegas now, and I think it has been for quite some time i guess it lives there now which is fine i suppose if i had to take up residency somewhere vegas isn't the worst place yeah i think orlando last time we went there 11 years ago yeah i think last time i was in universal was like seven years ago it's been a long time <laughs> it's been a hot minute but 
I like that there are more exhibits now and it, cause it makes it more accessible for people because, you know, back when it was only in Pigeon Forge and Branson, you know, how, uh, how many people really fortunate enough to be able to make it out to those places. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the traveling one. My brother wore a li- his life belt. I gave him to nice. that one. That's awesome. The only comment he got was, Oh, you came prepared. <laughs> so, I mean, he did. Everybody else is walking around with, uh, the earpieces on and just listening to the stories and everything like that. There wasn't very many other than that. There wasn't any other interaction with them. It's interesting. Cause last time I was at the um, pigeon forge museum was just before the holidays. Um, and I ran through like a bat out of hell. Cause we were, I was in the process of moving to Texas and, you know, my mom was watching my dog while I run through the museum. So I wanted to look at the movie costumes, but I was struck by how many, um, not in it, but just how many families there were and how interested the kids were is my assumption. A lot of the times is that when I see children in a museum, that their parents have brought them to a museum and that they're not happy mm-hmm. to be there. Um, but a lot of them, a lot of the kids were really, really interested. Like mom, mom, look at this, look at this. Did you know, did you know they're, they're really, they're really interested. It was, it was kind of cool. Yeah. They're drawn in from the giant ship on the outside. They're it sparks their cool. interest. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was it was really neat to see. And it was also neat because I could tell that a lot of the kids who were there, maybe they were the older ones, like eight plus, were there because they were interested in Titanic. Like, you know, some of the littler ones, you know, just there. But, you know, some of the kids, they were actually, they seemed to be there because they were interested. And I thought that was really, really neat. And I, I bet they would have gotten an absolute lark out of your, <laughs> out of your life belts. Yeah, I'm glad that they allow you to take pictures now. Yeah, yeah. Just started... And around April, that's right when they decide uh, announce that. That's where like, oh yeah, we should definitely go now, because we went when you couldn't take pictures, and there was just you know no memories of being there except for the ship on the outside. So yeah, I mean, granted, pictures don't make or break it, but they really it, it is nice to be able to have, it, especially something like the Grand Staircase where they recreate it so beautifully. It looks so mm-hmm. lovely, and the colors are warm and rich. It's like you want to be able to take a picture and show somebody because it's cool. Oh yeah, and and it will bring more people in. You now they see this and they're like, "Oh, we have to go there." It is cool. See it is definitely our, see for ourselves. The the pictures don't really do it justice. They really don't. I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but it, it is really cool. And when you get to walk down it, you can look at the banisters and see the gold and the black, and take mm-hmm. a real look at the bronze boy and at the clock and the woodwork. It's very cool. It's very neat, and it's. I'm a very tactile learner. I mean, as I've talked about it, like poking at Madame Master's life belt, like I'm, I, I learn by in that way. So for someone like me, it was, it, it is impressive. And, and having the picture, you know, it's obviously it's not quite the same experience, but it is nice to show people to be like, no, 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 it looks, it's really cool. Um, yeah. I heard they don't take a vow very often. And that was a very special treat for the, the group that came. They don't what? The life belt. They don't take that life belt out, out very often. No, um, for anyone who's wondering, um, at the convention, one of the people that's, I think, a curator and works with the museum um, brought as like a special treat, um, Madeline's mm-hmm. life belt. And that's and they were actually showing us specifically how they display and mount it, which is why we got to take a better look at the um, that dis- the, the display mechanism they'd rigged up. So that's why the whole thing was there. It was really cool to look at, but... Hopefully one day you get to see it in person. I think that would be very, very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely want to check that out. Yeah. Hopefully they bring it back out again. Hope so. Um, I'm also collaborating with Judith Yates. Have you seen her game? 
it's survived the Titanic board game? I didn't know, but I need to talk to her immediately. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it's a it's a card game of the survivors, and it gives you all this history and facts behind each one. And then mm-hmm. it's it's a game in the way it's interactive, and you can mm-hmm. learn about the the survivors throughout the game. So right now it's on Kickstarter. It met the goal actually. Nice. With seven days left, so I'm giving life belts to the two hundred dollar pledges up to awesome. four and they get a copy of the game so they get a life belt or a copy of the game for 200 dollars pledge and there's some shipping good. but that's amazing yeah, what's it so. what's it what's the game called for people if they want to look it up it, it, i don't know if it'll be out this episode will be out in time for the kickstarter i, I actually don't think that yeah. it will but for people who want to look up the game oh it's called survive the titanic board game okay i mean i'm sure the kickstarter page oh, is a card game yeah uh yeah, it, since I'm at its goal, they're not going to do another one. Um, no, no, no. But, but I mean, like, if, if you Google it, the page should come up and that'll have, like, all the info and yeah. stuff. I oh, think. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you. Thank you so much for letting me. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely grill you in a completely disorganized fashion. Well, thank you for having me on. Oh, this is my first interview. So Really? I hope you do a lot more. Yeah. I know. I like I like talking about them, and I like the history behind each one. Oh yeah, you should definitely get and talk to more people. This is this has been really interesting, and you know, I like I said, as a tactile learner, I really like the ability to be able to see these recreations. You can learn so much. Mm-hmm. So, well, thank you again, Steve, so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Steve and Titanic Life Belts for coming on to talk about this. Because uh, yeah, as as we went over, I didn't really have uh, any idea what went into it then and what goes into it now. And you should definitely follow him on all of his social media pages to see more about his creative process and to buy his life belts. You can find him on Facebook and Instagram. He has the same username that is Titanic Life Belts, all one word T I T A N I C L I F E B E L T S. And you can find him on his website, which is titaniclifebelts.com. You can also find him on Etsy. That's etsy.com slash shop. Nope. Etsy.com slash slash shop slash Titanic Life Belts. All one word. My gosh. Etsy.com slash shop slash Titanic Life Belts. That is all one word. His username on Instagram and Facebook and Etsy. And you can talk to him at any time in those places and learn more about Life Belts, which I think everybody should. Thanks again, Steve. And I'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline. T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!